This episode of The Murder of My Family is brought to you by Madison Reed. Madison Reed has hair color that is gorgeous, salon quality, multidimensional, ammonia-free, and delivered to your door for less than $25. Visit madison-reed.com for 10% off plus free shipping on your first hair color kit with promo code FAMILY. That's code FAMILY. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back for season two of The Murder in My Family. In our last episode, episode 10, we discussed the case of April Millsap, a 14-year-old girl who was murdered after leaving her home to walk her dog. The news of her murder devastated her mother, but thankfully, the case was solved and April's murder was sentenced to a long prison sentence. In this episode, we talk to another heartbroken mother whose daughter was murdered after leaving home to go to the store, and sadly, this case remains unsolved and in limbo. California City in California is located in Kern County, about 65 miles from Death Valley. With a population of around 15,000 people, California City has a crime rate which is about 28% higher than the national average. Like many other cities across the U.S., drug use has played a role in some of the rising crime rates. Also like many cities across the U.S., California City has been hit hard by a lack of money and resources, and this has directly affected the police and fire departments there. The result has been a feeling among area residents that they may not be as safe or protected as they would like to be. The police department was recently hit hard by 11 officers fleeing to take jobs with other departments. Things were so dire that unless a local tax known as Measure C wasn't passed, the police department would have dropped down to consisting of the police chief and three other officers. That's four officers to protect a city of 15,000 people 24-7 and to patrol the streets and investigate crimes. This has been the situation in recent years in this city. This is certainly not the best environment to investigate a murder. In fact, the California City Chief of Police was asked by a news reporter in June of 2018 if the city would become the wild, wild west if Measure C wasn't approved. And his response was, quote, it already is. Thankfully, the measure wound up being passed a month later in July of 2018 but it remains to be seen if the extra police resources will be enough to solve one of the most tragic cases in the recent history of California City, the 2016 murder of Devery Schiller. 23-year-old Devery Schiller, who had large green eyes and a big kind smile, lived with her mom Debbie in California City. She was the kind of girl that would leave an impression on you after meeting her. Although Devery came and went as she wanted, she spent much of her time at home helping Debbie with various medical conditions that she suffered from. Saturday, June 25, 2016, was a very hot day in California City, with a high in the mid-90s. As time passed, and the scorching day gave way to a hot night, Devery was restless, and she wanted to get out of the house. She told her mom she was going to walk to a local store, and asked Debbie if she could use her truck to drive the Taco Bell when she got back. 
The Taco Bell was located almost 30 miles away in the town of Rosamond, but since Devery loved Taco Bell, she didn't mind the drive. Debbie told Devery that they could discuss it after she got back from the store, and Devery left the home headed for the store, accompanied by a male friend. This was between 9 and 10 p.m. Devery told her mom that she wouldn't be gone long. As she walked out the door, Debbie told her daughter that she loved her, and she had no idea at the time that she would never see her daughter alive again. As time passed, Debbie wasn't overly concerned that Devery hadn't returned. After all, her daughter was an adult, and Debbie was used to her daughter heading out for stretches of time. Debbie didn't worry too much about her daughter being out at night, because she considered her daughter to be what she called a badass. It was the next day, Sunday, when Debbie finally started to get worried that Devery hadn't returned and it was about noon when her concern turned to outright panic. Devery's grandmother sent a text to Debbie, letting her know that a body had been found in the park across the street from Debbie's house. Worried by the news, Debbie immediately began texting Devery, but got no response. Debbie didn't want to accept that the body found in the park might be Devery's, so she decided to drive to some of Devery's friends' homes to see if anybody had seen her daughter, but she had no luck and soon returned to her house. It wasn't long after arriving back home that there was a knock on her door. A knock that no parent ever wants to hear. The police were at Debbie's front door, and they were there to inform Debbie that the body found in the park was indeed Devery's. The devastating news immediately sent Debbie into shock. Some young boys playing near the park had discovered Devery's body lying in a dirt alleyway that ran between two fenced-in areas along the edge of the park. One of the boys raced home to tell a family member about what they had found, and the family member accompanied the child back to the crime scene. This person then called police to alert them about the body and waited for police to arrive at the scene. While waiting, the caller did the unthinkable and snapped one or more photos of Devery's body. Police arrived on the scene and determined that the body was that of Devery Schiller. Later, the cause of death would be determined to be strangulation. Not many details were disclosed by police about the murder or what clues, if any, they have. In fact, it took investigators several months to fully interview the male friend who was the last person known to be with Devery. It's not known if the friend is considered a person of interest. Sadly, it wasn't long before the photos of Devery's body wound up making their way onto local social media. And Debbie still grieving over Devery's murder, stumbled upon the image. As if the knowledge of what happened to Devery wasn't bad enough, Debbie now knows what it actually looked like. Fortunately, the photos were removed from social media, but the damage was done. As time passed with no arrest, Debbie found herself searching for the truth behind her daughter's murder, all the while continuing to battle multiple health issues. But that didn't stop the heartbroken mother. She thought of new ways to bring attention to the case. She had a friend lay in the spot where Devery's body was found to simulate the crime scene. In 2018, Debbie was inspired for her next idea to bring attention to the case by the movie Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. In the movie, an angry and grieving mother, unsatisfied with the lack of an arrest in her daughter's murder, rents space on local billboards in her town to voice her frustration with police. Debbie thought that this was a great idea and decided to create signs of her own on behalf of her daughter's case. 
The three signs were all positioned one after the other so that passing motors could read them all. The first sign read, Busting illegal grow houses is good. The second sign read, Busting a killer would be better. The third and final sign read, Dev Schiller, 1092-616, to Murdered Unsolved. The sign about busting illegal grow houses was a reference to the town's big drug bust of an illegal marijuana grow operation. While that was big news, it wasn't the news that Devery's mother, Debbie, was waiting for. She was hoping that the police would catch the person that killed her daughter. And while Debbie isn't trying to shame the police in any way, she knows that the signs have generated continued interest in news coverage in her daughter's case. Despite all of Debbie's efforts to keep Devery's case in the spotlight over the past two years, there has been no arrest, and if police are closing in on any suspects, they're doing it quietly. Debbie joined me to talk about Devery's murder, as well as her own journey to find justice for her daughter. That discussion is next, after this quick break, for our sponsor, Madison Reed. Today's episode is sponsored by Madison Reed. The future of at-home hair color is here with Madison Reed. Gorgeous, salon-quality hair color delivered to your door for less than $25. For decades, women have had two options when it came to coloring their hair. Outdated at-home hair color or the time and expense of a salon. Madison Reed is reinventing hair color with the quality of salon color, the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color, and an ammonia-free formula made with ingredients you can feel good about. Anybody that knows me knows that I don't have hair, so I can't use Madison Reed even if I wanted to. But you know who does have hair? My wife, Mrs. Morph, and she uses Madison Reed and loves it. You will too. Join the hundreds of thousands of busy women who have tried and loved this life-changing hair color hack. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. And Madison Reed would like to honor the Murder in My Family listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the promo code FAMILY. That's promo code FAMILY. And now back to the show. Debbie, thanks for joining me to discuss your daughter Devery's case with us today. Thank you for having me, sir. And I know this has been uh, so awful to for you to deal with. As a parent myself, I can't imagine what it is that you've been going through. But I, I hope we can spread the word about Devery's case and see if we can help uh, bring it to people that might know something and maybe we'll come forward with more information. That would be awesome. So it's it's been just over two years now since Devery was murdered in June of 2016. And uh, this has been obviously a a difficult couple of years for you. You battled to find answers in her case and spread awareness. And I've seen you on TV and on social media. And I think you've even said, you know, in some of the news reports that you yourself are battling health issues on your own during this time. So how, I mean, all that combined, how, bad as this last two two years been for you? Uh, horrible. I've, uh, I've I'm, I'm basically, I've lost my family for the most part. Uh, we're not nearly as close as we once were at all. Um, I have a lot of anger towards the world, and that's kind of made things harder. 
um, every it was my my memory keeper. I have some severe memory issues, um, and she kept track of everything like that for me. So I've been kind of winging it for the last two years. It's been bad. And you've made it your mission, it seems like, to really go out there and, and be out on in focus and you know on TV and different news reports and stuff to really keep bringing this case to the public. I think that's probably the hardest part. I don't like people. I don't human well. I, I live in a bubble, and that bubble is gone, and I have to be on the news, and I have to do these podcasts about I'm not grateful. I don't like humans, and it's been really hard dealing with all that, having to give public speeches. I don't know what else I can do. I have to do this for her. She'd do it for me. And you definitely want to honor her memory, so it's, you know, it's understandable that you'd want to do this. And Devery was 23 at the time of, of her murder. Was she still living at home with you at that time? Yes, sir, she was. And and it wasn't like she couldn't go out and be on her own. She told me from the time she was little baby, she was going to live with me forever. She was never moving out, but she didn't. She stayed with me. So she was a, a, a mama's girl, sort of. I don't know if the term would be correct to say maybe I was a daughter's mom. You know, she was. She was my. She took care of me, like when I got sick, because I was. I had pancreatic disease, and I I couldn't eat, and I had feeding tubes at times, and she she did all that because not because she had to, but because she wanted to. That was she took care of me. I was more. A daughter's, you know, daughter's girl than she was mama's girl. So she was doing all that unselfishly trying to help you out and, and help you have the best life that you could help have. Yeah, she, she, was, she was an incredible person. The world is, is a much sadder place with her gone. If you can, tell us a little bit about her and, you know, what her life was like at the time this happened, you know, did, you know, her background, did she, you know, did she have a job? Did she have a boyfriend? I mean, what, was she a typical, you know, young 20 something year old? Um, to some degree, yeah, she was, as, as it sounds funny. It's always, parents always say this because we're biased. My daughter was beautiful. She made friends everywhere she went, guys, like, walked to her. She was, she was smart and she was funny. Um, she was incredible. I mean, she didn't. I, I always swore I would never state, like turn somebody into a saint just because they passed away. My daughter could be a bitch. I mean, that that girl was a hellcat. She was a fighter. She didn't take from anybody. You know, she 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 was Bubba from the time she was two. I mean, she was just. I don't know. incredible. If if you can, just sort of walk us through what happened back in June of 2016, how this all started. It was, uh, well, the Saturday, it, the 26th was a Sunday. Um, that Saturday, the 25th, uh, she was, I had been out, our truck had broke down that day. It had been a hot day in California because we're close to Death Valley. Um, we got back. 
she was she had a friend that came over. Um, I don't say names, but she had a friend that came over, and he, he and I sat and talked. Well, she kind of be walked around and got ready with everything. Um, during the course of the conversation, they talked about uh, borrowing our truck to run to another town over to get Taco Bell because every adored Taco Bell. That it was, uh, but she wanted Taco Bell. Um, they said they were going to go to the store real quick, walk to the store, and then come back and see about the truck. It was probably about nine, nine, around between nine and ten, I think, maybe. Um, they left. Um, I hollered out as she went out, I love you, be good, you know. We always do. And they left. Um, she didn't come home that night. Uh, part of me was a little concerned. I'm the mom, but I mean, she was 23. She didn't, didn't win as she pleased. She was a grown up. It didn't stress me that much. And then the next day, right before noon, I got a text message from my mom telling me they had found a body in the park across the street from our house. Um, I texted my daughter several times. Begging her to reply, begging her to respond, and she didn't. I took my granddaughter with me, and I got my truck, and I drove to every house that I knew every had friends looking for her. Um, when we finally got back to the house, my granddaughter's other grandparents took her out, and then my roommate yelled out, Dad, the cops are here. And I picked up my phone as I went down the hallway, I and my mom. And I got to the door, and they told me my daughter was gone. And I can't can't even uh, fathom how that must have felt. It's right across the street from your house, too, so it's, you know, so close to to home there. What did they tell you? Did they say anything immediately as far as what had happened? Or, you know, Um, were you in a state of shock at the time? Did you not even hear what they said? How did that happen? Um, yeah, I'd never really put a name to it, but I guess I was in shock. I I don't remember. I knew when my friend yelled out, the police were here. I knew. I, I, I knew it was her. Um, from that point on, I don't know what they said. Um, I know a couple hours went by, and I not calmed down, but I'd come to my senses, and everybody in the house kind of came out to the front yard to cool off and hot. And I took off watching this, like, just booking it across the parking lot to the part where my daughter was. Because I was going to find out where she died. And I got over there real quick. I had everybody was following me. And I got over there, and I saw two cop cars running out of the cops. I, I asked them where, where, tell me, please, tell me where. And they pointed it off over the other side of the park to, a, like, a, like a dirt alleyway that goes between the golf course and the park, I, it's probably like eight feet wide, um, hundred yards long, maybe. Uh, I went back there and there was nothing there. She wasn't there. Uh, I don't remember. And. So at that time, this is all going on. You're trying to take this all in, and obviously, it's it's a big, you know, devastating news. What 
what did the police tell you? Did they have any suspects? Did they have anything that might help them? Did they tell you anything at all about what was going on? To be honest with you, at that point, I was so distraught for a few days there. I wasn't, I signed over, basically I signed over custody of my daughter to my husband and my mom because there, I couldn't, I could not even comprehend finding paperwork that would allow her to even be cremated. I could not, I, I couldn't do it. I could more easily sign over custody of her than I could sign that paperwork. I don't remember what they said. I don't, I don't even, my detective now has been the same detective that came and told me, and I do not put those two people as the same people. I don't remember him telling me she was gone. But if he did, I, I was beyond distraught. At the time this happened, you know, thinking back, did Devery have any enemies or anybody that might have wanted to hurt her, ever have any problems with anybody? It's possible, to be honest with you. I mean, there were always females that were jealous of Devery. I mean, if, if anybody's, like, questioning it, they're, they're welcome to look at her profile. My daughter was beautiful. Girls envied that. Guys was that. Um, she wasn't, she wasn't, you know, guys got rejected a lot. Girls got jealous a lot. I think, yeah, there were people that didn't like her, I'm sure. Um, there were, there were probably just be people that, that, you know, did. I don't remember any of them being what I would consider a threat. She was a little badass. She didn't go down easy. I guarantee she didn't go down easy. And... Had any crimes like this ever happened in, in your area during that time period? Was there anything like this in, in the news or anything in that area that made you think this might be something that could happen to her? No. There was Cal City's a small town. I actually grew up in that town back in the, the 80s and 90s. It was a peaceful, it was a good place. It was, my, it was a tiny little place, like five, 6,000 people. Um, it was peaceful. We left our doors unlocked, but I sound like an old lady. We left our doors unlocked, but um, you don't do that shit here now. It's up to 13,000 people. It's um, not a nice place. You don't leave doors unlocked. You don't leave windows unlocked. You don't leave anything unlocked. It's guaranteed it will walk. Um, it's just an evil place now. That back there had me scared for her, but not anything like specific. You know, I think one of the challenges that the police agency handling this case is facing is lack of resources, lack of funding. Uh, and that's sadly, that's a, a common thing with many police forces now that are, you know, they don't have the necessary resources to fully investigate things. How has that hindered the investigation in, into your daughter's murder? I consider my detective, my I consider him a friend. I consider that man a hero. To me, anyway, he has done everything he could do in the little bit of a time he was allotted. There were like 16 police officers on the force. Here recently, the city went through this silly thing where everybody wanted to deny, you know, wanted to vote down this pack. Um, by the third round of voting on the same pack, it was down to we were going to lose our police department and our fire department if they voted no on this. Um, like from 16 officers, they were going to go all the way down to four. They were able to handle that town with 16. That town would have become just a lawless mess if that tax hadn't passed. 
But my executive, aside from just being effective working on my daughter's case, there are five unsolved murders in Cal City right now and three unsolved missing persons in the last 12 years. That's a really, to me, that's a high number for such a small place. The detective at times has had to go in uniform and, and, and hand out traffic tickets on a regular basis because they don't have enough cops. Um, if he's handing out tickets, he's not investigating murders. You know, but they didn't have enough people to cover everything. It's, it's um, been just the, like the last couple of weeks past that tack on the third try. And now I don't know what they're doing. I don't do politics either. They're throwing everything they have into getting the city fixed again. I don't know that that's going to work. They're, they're going to hire some, I guess, retired detectives to come in and work the unsolved crimes, the big ones. And hopefully that will get us somewhere. But it's been crazy. They've, um, Cal City has had this big marijuana thing going on. They're having people come out and grow and stuff like that. That took up a lot of the time of a detective. There's two detectives. They can't be doing all the extra stuff and still deal with the crimes that they're supposed to. So they're spread thin and shorthanded, but, you know, your detective that's working with you is a hero and he's doing the best he can with the resources and the time that he has. I, I really do believe that. I've never... You know, I've heard people, like, bash in their police departments or whatever. I, I, I don't talk shit about police departments. I don't talk bad about Sergeant Hayes. That man is, he's really tried. And if nothing else when it's over with, he deserves an award, particularly for having dealt with me for this long. I'm a pain in the ass. And that's that's a good thing for Devery's case because that's the kind of thing that will keep that in focus and keep it in the news and on social media and stuff. So... You know, I've talked to so many people that it, sometimes when you're quiet and you sit back, it will allow it to go to the back burner. But I think you've been very vocal, and hopefully that's something that's going to keep spreading awareness of, of Devery's case. So tell us a little bit about how it was that you came to put up those signs or those billboards uh, about your daughter's case. Um, back probably in November or December, a friend of mine showed me uh, – uh, the trailer for that movie, Three Billboards, outside Ebbing, Missouri. And they, were, they said they saw it earlier in the day, and they thought, but the woman in it was just like me. And uh, they showed it to me, and I kind of laughed at them. So it took a couple more people, and like people were kind of agreeing with it, and it kind of just caught on in my head that maybe, you know, I could do it. I just, I tried to keep her name in the media, you know, trying to keep her out there, trying to keep her friendly. I thought this might be a way to possibly call attention to it some more and see if maybe someone will talk about it, you know. I don't it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I, I and have know. have they've gotten a lot of attention? Have you had a lot of people talk to you about this signs? Um, I don't know that it's really been a lot of people. I mean we watched it on the news it like it it got seen, I guess, over on the East Coast scenario. Like, you know, people were telling me they'd seen it over there. Um, I don't really talk to a lot of people. I kind of say to myself, but I mean, I watched it on media, social media. It, it, got, it garnered some attention. Um, I couldn't really say how much, but it did. It got some people's attention, I think. Now, in, in the movie, the the woman that put those signs up was was sort of trying to egg on the the police. Uh, I, from what I understand, you you are supportive of the police, but you still want to bring awareness to this case, but not necessarily 
doing it to to torment the police. I, I guess kind of for me, there's there's a distinction between the police and my detective. He is the detective that's got my daughter's case has been amazing. If nothing else, when it's over, I keep telling people he deserves an award just for putting up with my butt. Um, I've been a pain in the butt, and he, he's done everything he could all along through this whole thing, um, trying to figure it out. It's just that his job prevents him actually from being able to do his job. Um, I try, try to be supportive. Um, I, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. He's the only one that deals with that case. And, and those signs that you put up, were they just signs that you put out on your own, or did you have to pay for advertising for them? Um, well, no, I had actually, uh, there was a, a couple of people that helped me out with it, a couple of every friends, a couple of my friends, basically. Um, you know, we did all the painting, we did all the, also they knew we got all the materials, like we did all of it. And then we just put it out there. We didn't, we didn't get permission or nothing. Uh, we just put it out there to, it's on the busiest, like, busiest road, basically going out of town or into town in hopes that maybe somebody would see it. Well, there's certainly um, eye-catching, and in the movie, it, it worked to get her point across, so hopefully people out there are paying attention to you for Devery. I, I sure hope so, because she, she never, never deserved it. Yeah. She had so I mean, she, she should be here, uh-huh. and yeah. it shouldn't be two years that passed to find out who the hell did it to us. You know, who did it to all of us? Because, you know, I'm not the only one that lost, a lot of people lost it. Yeah, let's hope you get those answers and, and find out who did this. Do they keep you updated on reg- on a regular basis as far as any leads or potential things that are going on with the case? Do they ever, you know, say, hey, we're still working on it and we think we're getting closer to finding who did this to her? I don't know that he ever actually had that option. I see, I see my detective generally at least once once a week. I go in and find him. I hunt him down, and we sit down in a powwow. Um, I, I recently moved out of the city, a couple of them, another city over, um, so I don't get in as often, but you can bet. I text him, and I call him on a regular basis. I've gathered as much information, I think, as, as, as they have, with the exception of the scientific aspects of it. You know, the stuff I find out, you know, I take to him, I discuss with him. You know, I'm careful. I don't say names. I, the people that do talk to me, I tell them directly, look, I want to hear anything you have to say. I will not tell anybody your name unless it comes down to it's going to solve my kid's murder and then I'm going to shoot like a goddamn canary. That's how it works. And I tell people that. So whatever information they've given me, I've taken to him. Have you had luck getting a lot of information and and getting a lot of tips from people and things that you think might possibly help solve the case? It's really hard to say. Um, There's a Went Biscuit song called Break Stuff, and one of the lines is, it's all about the he said, she said bullshit. I have heard so many stories, people trying to help. It's been, I mean, it's it's been a nightmare. (laughs) That that these that people can come up with stuff that they can come up with. I don't understand it. It's been crazy. I'm not a trained investigator. I just play one in real life, and it's not fun. We share what we find out. 
I don't know if it's going to help. I wish I did. Now, to your knowledge, with it, you know, not naming any names or anything, but do you think the police have a suspect or somebody they think might have done this that they're considering? There's, there's several suspects. There's, there's DNA evidence. It's an odd situation. There's no lack of theories about who did it and why. Um, they just can't prove it yet. Hopefully, if there is DNA evidence, they can use that and possibly one day lead them to the right person that did this. Have you, in your own mind, had any suspects or any of your own suspicions about who might have done it? Oh, yeah. I, Beverly and I were close. I, I, knew, I, I knew all of her friends for the most part. They were like, if she saw them more than a couple of times, they met me for sure. I, I, I met all her friends. I knew who all of them were. I, I have no idea. I don't know. I have suspects. I have people that I mean could have, you know, until somebody's actually arrested for it. I have no idea. I mentioned a little earlier I've seen a lot of videos of you discussing with news crews and doing interviews and stuff. You're you're pretty out there and, and vocal uh, about the case. One thing I saw that you did was uh, even go as far as to sort of demonstrate or display the way that her body was was found just to try and, and, and let people see what happened. Um, how hard was it doing that and, and having to go through those steps to, tr- to try and, you know, make people aware of what happened? That was incredibly hard. Um when my daughter's body was found, somebody took a picture of my daughter's body laying on the ground there. It got circulated around social media very briefly before numerous people pounced on it and shut it down before I saw it. Within three months, I had a picture of my daughter's body on the ground. That's how I found out where she was found. And um, I, have her, I, have a, I have a giant diamond up on the fence that's her memorial. Um, it's disgusting that that would happen, that that would wind up on social media like that. And luckily they were able to shut it down and, and take that down. But it's just, it's like insult to injury. You have to go through losing your daughter that way. And then to have the humiliation of, of knowing that there's a picture of her after she's dead on social media is, is, is terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I mean, I have a digital copy copy of it. I can't look at it. On the anniversary, the last one that you were talking about, I had a friend of mine, just similar to how she was in the picture. And I had, I, I wouldn't look at the picture. I had a friend of hers look at the picture who didn't know my daughter and pose our friend on the ground. I had wanted to hold her hand. I couldn't do it. All I could do was brush the sand off of her arm. It's awful. You know, seeing that and, and, and knowing that this made it onto to social media actually gave you an idea that social media, instead of displaying a, a picture of her body in such a disgusting manner, could be used for something positive, and you decided that you wanted to start a page for her to do something positive and, and help generate tips and leads. How successful has that been in your area? Do you get a lot of people coming to your Facebook page um, for her case? Um, not too much for her case. Basically, I have 
I have I have my 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 profile page, and then after that, I have two pages that are dedicated to Devery. I have Devery Schiller Diamonds Are Forever, and that that page is strictly, is strictly friends and family. Um, and then I have Help Find Who Murdered Boo, and that one is the public page. Uh, very rarely do I get. It's mostly people that come to pay their respects, I guess. As far as the tips go, most of the times if I get tips, I get them through Messenger. Um, so that there's not, you know, they don't, they just hit me up out of nowhere or want to tell me things. And I don't know that it's been generated by the pages. I, I don't know what generates it. Well, it's good to have it up there because maybe somebody will share it on their social media and keep it keep the case alive. And that's 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 what I'm trying so hard to do. It's just it's not getting any easier. If somebody out there listening, let's just say there's somebody in in your town or town nearby, hears this on on this podcast, and they say, "I think I know something about that," or "I heard something." Who should they contact to share that information with? Sergeant Hayes, Shannon Hayes at CCPD would be the number one person to contact. That number is 760-373-8606. If they're scared to talk to cops, they can hit me up. They can look at any of those Facebook pages. Um, they They can write it down and put his name on it and drop it off at the post office. Um, there's so many ways that they, they, they don't, they just need help. If they know something, they just need the help. Even if it's something small, they can remain anonymous and share what they know and, and even do something small like that to try and help. Yeah, that's the main thing. You never know what's going to be the one that's going to crack it open. That's going to put who in touch with who and somebody knows something there. Any little thing could be something, even if it's just they want to share a memory of her with me. You know, I mean, that's if they just some people need to start keep talking about it. Somebody knows who did this. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so that the show can continue to reach new listeners. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderinmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at murderinmyfam or by searching for the Murder in My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash themurderinmyfamily. If you prefer to, You can always support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank Jane Skelton, Jeanette Butler Fergie, and Andre Davis Johnson. I'd also like to thank a supporter who asked that their name not be used, but I still wanted them to be recognized. So hopefully they know that this is for them. Thanks to all of the supporters that generously donate and keep the podcast going. Your support is appreciated and helps the show grow and improve. Until next time, remember, every murder victim means something to somebody. <laughs>